something. In a moment, we're going to uh, look at God's Word together. And uh, this, this morning, as we are thinking about our building project, I thought it would be interesting to look at one of the big Bible building projects. Um, not so that we can learn tips for our construction and or design, but so that we can see, again, God's priorities in those building projects and his priorities, therefore, for us too. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah, all of it, in 25 minutes. Yikes. Why have I chosen that? Well, because of the reasons I've given. But I, I truly do believe that it's going to have great things, helpful things for us to keep in mind as a church throughout this process. Um, but the book of Nehemiah, um, I understand not all of us will be familiar with it. And so very briefly, I want us just to quickly set the scene of where we are in the Bible. So I'm going to start, as it were, um, here with God's people in the Old Testament were in Egypt. That's my, the attempt at a pyramid there. Um, they weren't building pyramids, but anyway. So God's people are in Egypt, and they are oppressed by Pharaoh. And then, of course, God, in his kindness, leads them out through the Exodus. He brings them through the Red Sea. And so God's people, now this, this nation, are wandering around the desert, the wilderness. But God leads them into his promised land, the land that he promised to Abraham. And he settles his people there and establishes them in the land. And there they, they, they grow and prosper. Um, yesterday, if you were at the Men's Day, we would have seen Solomon, when we look at King Solomon, that, that's in this area with the people living in the promised land um, with, um, with the prophets and the kings. But the people, again and again and again, rebelled against God, turned their back on him. And uh, Solomon, as we saw yesterday, the aftermath of that was that the kingdom was split into two. And Israel, the northern kingdom, well, they were taken off by the Assyrians and destroyed, and that was basically it for them. Whereas Judah, years later, the other, other um, tribes were taken into exile in Babylon. So the book of Daniel, for example, that was in that area, that era then. And then again, they were there for 70 years, but then God brought them back out and returned them to Jerusalem. And that is where we come in the book of Nehemiah. But Nehemiah is actually part two of one book. So in the Jewish Bibles, Ezra and Nehemiah is, is one book. And in Ezra, so part one, the people have rebuilt the temple. And then Nehemiah, what we're looking at today, is the focus is on rebuilding the, the city, the city walls. So hopefully that's just got clear in your mind where we are in the big Bible story. So we're towards the end of the Old Testament. God's people have been into exile, they've come back out. And I say now the temple's been rebuilt, now they're going to be rebuilding the walls. Just to help focus our, our, our thoughts, and though we're going to read chapter 1, just as the introduction to see where it, it comes, and then I'll say I'll springboard elsewhere. So Karen is now going to come up and read that for us. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah. <clears throat> it's on page 475 in the Church Bibles. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chisley, in the 12th year, sorry, 20th year, 
as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed and your great power, by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Great. Now, the plan is that we're going to, uh, I want to give you a walk through the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to stop off at each of the, more, uh, each of the four main sections of the book. Uh, and as I do that, I'm going to, uh, at each of those four sections, offer one big application for us as a church to try and ground this in ourselves and our church lives going forward. Nehemiah, uh, as I said, is part two of the same book, and in Ezra... The, the temple was rebuilt, and also a large number of God's people had, been, had come back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was not one of those people who had come back. He held an important job in the Persian court. He was, as we saw right at the end there, he was cupbearer to the king. And the book starts with Nehemiah's brother and some others visiting him. And you can see that in verse 1. Now, the, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, 
As I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So Nehemiah asked for a report. He says, well, look, all those people have gone back. How are they? And, and how is the city? And he doesn't perhaps get the news he's hoping for. Verse 3. And they said to me, the remnants there in the province who had survived the exile are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So here is our first big stopping point. The first section of the book is the people are in great trouble and shame. Trouble and shame. And see Nehemiah's response to this. As soon as I, verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That is quite a reaction, isn't it? Here's where I grew up, not a million miles away. Bounds Green, it's kind of in between Bounds Green and Muswell Hill. If I heard that Bounds Green tube station had been flattened, and the houses around it had all fallen into disrepair, I think I'd probably be a little bit sad. I'd think about the, the, the memories that I had there and the good times. But I wouldn't crumple to the floor and weep and fast and mourn and pray for days. We need to understand how hugely significant Jerusalem was for the Jews. The city, and, and here's just a kind of representation of what it might have looked like uh, that the city was the center point of their lives. It is the center of their identity and their religion. Because throughout the Old Testament, we find this close connection between the city, of which the walls were a major part, the people, and God himself. Those two things come together. And so that their city, where God had chosen to dwell, well, if the city was in trouble and disgrace, well, so were the people. And if the people were in trouble and shame, well, in some sense, so was God. And so for the Jews, it was inconceivable that they would come back from exile, that they'd be restored from there, and yet Jerusalem would be in a complete mess. And that is what Nehemiah was so upset about. The city is ramshackled, and therefore that reflects so badly on the people, and then, well, that reflects so incredibly badly on God. They're laughing stock, so is God. Sadly, that report that Nehemiah received wasn't an exaggeration. Uh, later, he does indeed travel back to Jerusalem, and a very quick recce around it, he finds these things to be true. If you flick over the page, come to chapter 2, verse 17. He finds out that, he, that the worst is confirmed. Um, Nehemiah is now talking to others, but he said, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. The city, the people, God's reputation, they were in Trouble and shame. Trouble and shame. And Nehemiah is deeply moved by that. 
In verse, chapter 1, verse 4, where it says he, he was mourning, fasting, praying. Did you see it said four days? And, and if you heard that, I wonder what you think. So how, how long do you think Nehemiah is mourning for? Maybe four days, five days? I mean, that'd be an awful lot, but four or five days. Actually, if you look at the, the, the timeline, it's months, four months. For four months, Nehemiah is mourning, fasting, praying. He is deeply moved by the trouble and shame of Jerusalem. And, and that, that sense of trouble and shame moves him to two great things, to prayer and to action. We see right throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah praying. We, we saw that in the second half of chapter 1 as one great example. He prays that God would do something about their terrible situation they're in because he knew and recognized that if anything meaningful were going to happen, God must do it. He prays, but he doesn't just pray and say, okay, I'm going to do nothing. Well, he prays and commits himself and the action, himself to action. The two, prayer and action, go hand in hand. And so he asked the king, at risk to himself, he asked to be able to go back and to do something about it. And that is what chapters 3 onwards is about. Nehemiah's action, rebuilding of the city. What about us? That's, that's the situation that Nehemiah saw. as he, well, he heard himself first off and then saw for himself. The people, the, sit, the city, the people, God himself. Trouble and shame. And he was deeply moved by it. The question I want to ask us this morning is, well, what do you care about? What do we care about? What, what gets you? What causes that deep emotional reaction, that internal jolt? What news distresses you? Is it that Man City have won the league again? I hope not. Maybe it's something else. But maybe it, is, it can be those trivial things that get us, that get, bring that emotional response. Maybe it is something more serious. Health problems. The success of a child promotion or lack of it that you get at work? Well, what is it that you care passionately about that has that potential to affect you, that could cause you to sit down and weep? For Nehemiah, it was the trouble and shame that the city, the people, and God were in. And if we look around, for, for, for Nehemiah, it was, it was the city itself, for us today, the, the parallel is, is the church, God's people. As we look around, at the, the, just for sake of example, the church in our country, the wider church, in the eyes of so many, isn't it a laughingstock? And as a church, don't we face an almost insurmountable task? Generous estimates put in the, in the UK, about 3% of, of people are Christians. If you take that, New Barnet, I, I struggle to find the exact number, but roughly speaking, New, Barn, New Barnet itself has about 15,000 people in it, and maybe a few more. Well, if you apply those simple maths, that means that over 4,650 people are not in church. 14,650 people are not Christians, and for the most part, I think what we're doing this morning is a complete waste of time at best. 
we are facing a monumental task. But that the first step in this is, well, do we care? That is why we want a building. We want a building in the heart of the community as a launch pad in order for us to reach out to these lost people so that they too can come to see how great the Lord Jesus is, that they too can be saved from their lostness, both now and coming. That's why we want this building. Lionsdown will be built, and I say Lionsdown, I mean the people, not any building down there. Lionsdown will be built if we care about it, if we care enough to pray and to take action. Second up, rebuilding the walls. So Nehemiah, he, he, gets, uh, he, he gets the people who are back there in Jerusalem on his side. So chapter 2, verse 17, I've read, read already. But uh, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words of the king that had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. They get to action. They get to rebuilding the city, and particularly the city walls. Nehemiah chapter 3, just glance down at it. Just, just, Just see it. Nehemiah chapter 3 is my favorite chapter in Nehemiah. And it's probably up there with one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And when you look at it, you go, what? So just have a look down uh, as a little taste. Um, Verse 1. Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set up its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred, that is, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And then, next to them, Zakur, son of Imri, built. And it goes on and on and on. Why on earth is this my favorite chapter in Nehemiah? Why? It doesn't seem interesting. What I love about it is that it is a whole long list of nobodies that we know next to nothing about, yet we see them coming together to play their part in God's big project. And it's remembered. It's remembered. The the list gets repetitive um, as you go through it. But a couple of things, to me, particularly stand out. Actually, sorry, I was going to show you this. Um, So so here's here's a kind of representation. You probably can't see it. It doesn't matter too much. Um, But here's a representation of the walls and all the people who, who built their different parts of it. Uh, and as you read through this chapter, I say a couple of things stand out. The first one is, I read, already read in verse 1 is, did you know that the, the high priest got involved? No sense of superiority. Yeah, he got stuck in. Have a look at verse 8. Next to them, sorry, as I struggle through the names, um, this is why I didn't get Karen to read this one. Um, next to them, Uziel, son of Ha-ha-haya, goldsmiths. Sorry, there you go. Let me start that one again. Next to them, Azil, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored the Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Okay, just, just note those two different groups. The goldsmiths, 
Perfume makers. You don't find it, oh, these hands, these work with gold. You're not going to find me working with bricks. Or this nose is used to the perfect aromas. I'm not going to get down in the dust. Nonsense. In they go. They get work. Get working. Verse 9. Next to them, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired. Here's another ruler going at it. Verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halhash, ruler of half district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. Here's another ruler and their whole family getting stuck in. Chapter 3 is an incredible picture of what can happen when God's people unite around a cause that they care about. But there is one glaring exception. In this whole long list, have a look at verse 5. And next to them, the Tekatites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. I think the reason there, probably pride. They wouldn't stoop to the work. These were nobles. Nobles don't do this common folk work. In their pride, they didn't get their hands dirty. They cared more about themselves than God and his glory or the people. And so they didn't get involved. A warning, perhaps, amongst so much positivity. Chapter 3 tells this amazing story of God's people coming together for this incredible building project. Then chapters 4 to 6 provide the backdrop of this work and its opposition, its barriers, and its difficulties. This was no easy task. So chapter 4 speaks about opposition from outside, various of God's enemies trying to make it difficult for them. I haven't got time to go through it, but just very quickly, let me just picture this representation. So here's Jerusalem, here they are. Um, and we find first kind of opponents is Sambalat, the, the governor of um, Samaria. Samaria is up there to the north. Next, you have Tobiah and the Ammonites. They're over kind of to the east. And then you have Arabs who are over, uh, sorry, down to the, the south. And then finally, you have the Ashdodites over to the west. The point is, is they were surrounded. This wasn't a few discontents who didn't like God's people. They were literally surrounded by enemies who were oppressing them and trying to make it as difficult as possible, trying to get them to stop. But they kept going. So chapter 4 is trouble from the outside. Chapter 5 is trouble from inside. There's a financial and food crisis. Um, you know, all the people are building walls, right? So who's tending the fields? Well, there's there's not, not much food around. But that had been made worse by some of the people um, exploiting their fellow countrymen, trying to make a profit for themselves. So they were loaning with extortionate rates. And so this, this internal threat represented a huge threat to morale. But Nehemiah is able to resolve it, and they carry on. And then chapter 6 is external again, but it's focused on Nehemiah himself. He is repeatedly threatened. But with God's help and strength, the work goes on. And come to chapter 6, verse 15, and see this quite incredible verse. So, the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. That is an almost impossible, uh, unbelievable achievement. 
52 days it took the people to clear the rubble, rebuild the walls and strengthen them, the walls and the gates. And how was that possible? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly, uh, fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. All that trouble from the outside, all the trouble from within, all the direct attacks on Nehemiah couldn't stop them because of God's help. God enabled the people to do this. Over 40 groups, chapter 3, over 40 groups of different people from different towns, callings, families, all those things, they come together to play their parts. And what a wonderful picture of what church is. A whole load of different people coming from different places, joining together around a common thing, coming together around the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, coming around that work. And we all have our parts parts to play in this building, building building the the church up, as it were, encouraging each other, building each other up in the faith, strengthening us, each other, in maturity, building out as we seek to take that good news to those around us. This is the building work that we're privileged to be part of. And again, if, if if you're not a Christian here, you're exploring things or you're just visiting us today, it's great that you're here. I hope you'll come back next week for a more normal Sunday inverted commas, that you'll you'll continue to hear about Jesus and why we are so committed to the people of New Barnet and further afield. But again, lines down, if this is your church family, play your part. Play your part in this building project. Yes, in a few moments I'm going to be talking about giving financially to this literal physical building project. But it's not just giving financially. In due course, there are going to be all kinds of ways that God has gifted his people that can be used towards this project. But again, more than that, 10 months, a year, however long down the line, God willing, we move in. How is it that this church is going to keep growing? So as we come together to play our parts in the ways that God has gifted us to do. Let's go to the third stop. Third stopping point is reforming the people, reforming the people. So uh, chapter 8 onwards, the, the attention turns from rebuilding the walls to reforming the people. See, the people, the people who'd moved back to Jerusalem and the surrounding towns, they, they were gathered together. And Ezra brought God's word and he began to teach them. This is chapter 8. I don't know about you, but when do you start getting fidgety in a sermon? Is it when, they cross, when I cross over and cross the 30-minute mark? 35, 45? I think, Chris, yesterday, this first talk was about 45 minutes. How do you guys gents cope there? Well, I saw this, but I couldn't resist. There's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> well, if you're, if, you're getting, if you're getting fidgety at the kind of 40-minute mark, these guys were here for six hours. Six hours. Chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. The whole time they were the whole morning. And then it wasn't just that, but then other people, you see verse 8, um, then they read from the book of the, the book, from the law of God clearly, 
and they gave the meaning so the people understood the reading. So there were follow-up sessions as well. There were multiple lengthy connect studies. But the point and purpose of this is that the people needed reforming as much as the, the walls needed building. Because the whole reason that the city was in a mess was because of the people's continued rebellion against God. And they still completely flawed and deep problems, and that needed, um, needed resolving, needed the work, as much as any walls. And it is wonderful, the end of chapter 8 sees um, great response of joy in praising God for all that he's done. But, as I said, the people had these deep-rooted problems. Uh, the long-standing issue of intermarriage, that, that God's people have been marrying the nations around them, not a racial thing, a religious thing, because the people around them had different gods, and inevitably, as we saw again yesterday, men, inevitably they were going to be pulled aside, and that had happened. That's the particular issue at heart, um, but, but wonderfully have a look at chapter 9, verse 2. God, God leads them to repentance. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So having been convicted, they confessed their sins and they carry on in verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. And then in chapter 10, we find them recommitting to the covenant again. And I think these three words uh, are so helpful um, for us. Of when we are convicted of our sin, when we realize, when God highlights to us an area where we're going wrong, well, what are the steps to take? Well, it's to confess those sins before him and commit to change. You see, for the people, it wasn't simply enough to rebuild the walls. Yes, that made them secure. And yes, the outside shame seems to have been removed. But inside, there was still trouble. Through God's word, the people were reformed. And again, brothers and sisters, we must never get so preoccupied with the work that we forget our walk with the Lord Jesus. External busyness must never be a cover for internal waywardness. It is very possible for a church to have a brand new, nice, shiny, flashy, got everything building and be a complete failure. Likewise, a church can thrive in a run-down rented property. The, problem, the, the issue at stake is the people. The people and the people here provide a great model for us of the not only being busy in work but having themselves restored and changed. Now, for them, so the, the specific areas I haven't got time in, but relationships, time, and money those were the three areas particularly that the people had problems with. And again, just this morning, maybe. Consider your own relationships, time, and money. Are the relationships we're in honoring that we're in and how we're operating in them? Are they honorable to the Lord? How are we using our time? 
that honourable to the Lord? How are we using our money? Three areas to consider. And if challenged, if convicted, confess and commit to change. Lions down will, will be built. Lions down, the people of God, will only be built as we walk closely with the Lord Jesus. And very, very quickly, we then have a massive anticlimax. It all seems so good. The walls have been built. The people have been reformed. They have this huge ceremony where they have choirs going around the walls. It is amazing, joyful celebration. Wouldn't it be great if the book ended there? It doesn't. In chapter uh, 11, we get a huge anticlimax. Uh, 11 and 12, particularly 12. You see, Nehemiah, he goes back to the Persian courts and stays there for three years. And then he comes back to Jerusalem three years later. Sorry, when I said 11 and 12, I actually meant 13. Um, uh, the reforms of chapter 8 to 12 seem such a success, seem so great. But at best, they were partial and incomplete. And at worst, they were a complete failure. Because he comes back, Nehemiah, and he finds that the temple has been neglected. He finds the Sabbath is being broken. He finds that intermarrying is happening again. And it's such a huge anticlimax after the joyful celebration of the previous chapters. We can wonder, why does it finish on such a downer? Well, it highlights to us two vital points. Firstly, we need Jesus. Nehemiah was undoubtedly an incredibly, incredibly gifted leader, but he couldn't do that job of reforming the people properly. We need Jesus. We need Jesus who cared so much about the state of people that he left heaven. We need Jesus who cared so much about Jerusalem that when he looked down upon it, he wept over the people. We need Jesus who cared so much that he went and died for those people who had rejected him, who had rebelled against him, that he cared enough to give up his own life. We need Jesus who doesn't simply clean up the outsides, which we're able to do for a little while by ourselves with our own efforts, but who comes in and changes hearts. And the, the, the huge anticlimax of chapter 13 highlights our need for him. But secondly, however well Lions Down or any other church, however, any church, however well any church does, over the coming years, the work will never be completed here on earth. You see, we look back to this, this city um, that, in Nehemiah and we see that the, the walls are being built. We see that the people were being reformed, but, but there were still problems. And as we look back at that city, we are reminded to look forward to the new city that Jesus is preparing. A city that doesn't need a temple because God dwells there. A city that is perfect in every respect. A city that can't and won't be spoiled. The final book of the Bible paints the picture like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
adorned for her husband. And a few verses later, uh, no, sorry, it's carrying on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then a few verses later. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. The work in Nehemiah's Jerusalem city could never be done. It needed Jesus. The work that we are doing now won't be complete here on earth. We'll never get to a stage where we say, we've got there. But we look forward with all of God's people to this new Jerusalem, the perfected city, which is our heavenly home. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we... Father God, we thank you for we, how, we saw, how we've just seen you work so mightily through your people in the book of Nehemiah. Thank you that with your help, even great tasks are possible. Thank you, Father, for the confidence that gives us as we consider our own building project, as we know that we are in your good hands. And we, Lord, we cry out to you for help in all that is to come. But Father, equally, would we not get so sidetracked and, sidetracked and uh, so sucked in with buildings that we forget about people, ourselves and our walk with you, and the community around us, which is a reason for this building. Please, Father, help, help and work in us to build us up and to build us out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. We are now going to pray. I'm sorry, I was looking at the order of things. Uh, we're now going to.